everybody should care that their building not fall down on them at seven o'clock in the morning. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Ruth Dillingham of Dillingham Consulting. She's a consultant who works primarily with lenders in the space talking about fair housing. But we're not going to talk about fair housing today. We're going to talk about the new regulations and guidelines coming down through Fannie and Freddie, the secondary market of residential real estate mortgages, with respect to the tragedy in Surfside, Florida, and the Champlain Towers, and what Fannie and Freddie are requiring all lenders and borrowers to comply with. So Ruth, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Actually, welcome back. If you all remember and go back, she's a single digit member. Uh, Ruth <laughs> joined us uh, March of 2021 to talk about the impending new loan application. She is found at episode number nine, and we talk very in depth about what she's doing and who she's looking to work with lenders ding, 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 lenders. Uh, but Ruth, let's talk about what's going on with the new guidelines based on the tragedy down in Miami. Sure. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, pretty quickly after the um, Surfside condo disaster, realized that the potential for some sort of assignee liability or even, well, as, as Mark, you and I both know, Anybody can sue anybody for anything. It may not live as very long as a lawsuit, but nobody wants to get sued. So as investors in these loans, they probably took a look and said, we've got a bunch of analytics. We know what our appraisers are showing us. And we probably aren't poking around that deeply into the kinds of structural integrity issues that cause this particular project to fall down. So unlike if they, for instance, were working with an investor in an apartment building, or even if they were working with someone buying a very large single family house, um, they aren't necessarily sending appraisers out on a condo unit to look at the roof, to look at the pilings in the basement that, that hold the place up. So this kind of a, a structural deficiency thing is something they know how to do. It's something they're how to underwrite for in the context of commercial loans or projects that they, they finance for construction of that sort. So they sort of moved some of that underwriting expertise into the new underwriting guidelines, which came down pretty quickly. No one's, no one's going to say they spent a lot of time dawdling around it. Um, they were released uh, winter 2021, and you know they've they've been pretty strong about enforcing them. No question, no ifs, ands, or buts. There are no no exceptions to these representations and warranties that lenders have to make when they sell the loan. And they are focusing on essentially the two pillars of how should 
a building be underwritten for structural integrity? One, the structural issues. Does it show any signs of a need for critical repairs? Number two, if it does, is there money set aside to do the critical repair? And even if it doesn't, is there money set aside in the reserve account so the critical repairs actually never arise? They get dealt with in the normal course of appropriate maintenance and repairs as they arise and as they should be done proactively. So it's many would think sort of a sea change in underwriting on condo loans, but then as has been pointed out to me over and over again, if you own a single family house, don't you periodically look at the roof? <laughs> don't you periodically go down to the basement, see if there's puddles of water over in the corner? And yeah. if you did, wouldn't you do something about it? Yes. But it's so it's so funny to think about that because I mean, really, when when did the popularity of condos really first start coming into into the community, into the real estate space? 80s? I'd say late 80s. So think about it. If you buy into this condo, but you treat it more like a cooperative apartment, apartment, and you go in and you don't think about all of the other, I mean, we're dealing with their life expectancy right now. Isn't that kind of what's happening? You late 80s, early 90s, condo conversion, no, no, uh, capital expenditures, no reserve right. for deferred maintenance. And then you have Surfside Champlain Towers. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, my, you know, the, the, the side of me that is cynical and the side of me that is sincere, the cynical side says dead men don't pay their mortgage. So Fannie Mae wants people to live. The sincere side of me is nobody wants to die lying in their bed at seven o'clock in the morning when the building falls on top of them. And they certainly don't want to have any liability around any of that. So how do we deal with the liability when you're dealing with an association who they don't want to slow the progress of a real estate transaction? They don't want to devalue their properties by not allowing everybody and anybody to lend to them. How do you rock in a hard place? What do you do? Well, so that, but that I think is, that's, that is where we're going to see. All right. Let me, let me put it in a Massachusetts context, not knowing how far field folks are going to be listening, but remember when title five came into play and everyone in Hingham said, I'm not getting rid of my cesspool in my backyard. And everyone said, to those sellers, you know what? You live on sand. And if you don't get a Title V inspection, you are not going to sell this house in Hingham. And they said, people will want to live in Hingham. They don't care that I'm on a failed septic system. And eventually, everybody in Hingham put in a Title V compliant septic system because eventually enough people realized, A, it's the right thing to do so we don't denigrate the environment. And B, there's a whole swath of the world you can't sell your house to if you don't bother to put in a Title V compliant septic system. 
but there was a lot of reluctance. I know that there were, I remember from personal experience, there were listing agents, sell, you know, real estate agents who wouldn't take listings in Hingham because they didn't want to deal with these knuckleheaded sellers who said, I'm not going to upgrade my septic system. But eventually it became the norm. So I think we're going to see here much the same adoption. I think it's, it's, it's good overall. There's going to be a lot of bumpy roads and upset people along the way. But I think that happens whenever there's change and whenever there's new regulations being implemented. It's going to be like Hingham. And I'm sorry, Hingham, I didn't mean to pick on you per se, but I just remember it being a big deal. Um, But it's going to be a, a, a systemic problem where a condo project of four units doesn't care about it because it doesn't affect them. And a big project, you know, Tall Oaks and Weymouth, you know, I I would be shocked beyond shocked if they don't have a professional management company and they don't have lawyers and and engineers and semi-annual inspections and, you know, all the things that a big project should have. So where you're going to see the problem is going to be these self-managed six, 10, 15 maybe unit projects that have, and everyone across the board has been absolutely straight up honest about that. The average condo unit is not a structural engineer, a lawyer, an accountant, you know, they're they're just people who go to work every day. They have no particular expertise. And the fact that they even are willing to get the volunteer time to serve on the board of trustees or the association management team is, you know, sort of a bless you type event. So for them to then say, okay, if we are going to solve for selling units, we need to solve for filling out this questionnaire. We need to figure out how our minutes need to be written after a meeting that we're clear if we're talking about a structural repair issue or a cosmetic upgrade issue when we budget for something. And we need to bite the bullet and start building a reserve fund for capital improvements so that we can answer these questionnaires in a way that one of our fellow unit owners can sell to a buyer who wants to get mortgage money from a lender who's going to want to be compliant with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac underwriting rules. Now that, you know, there are a whole host of things in there, Mark, that that are um, places where the balloon can, can, you know, be pushed out a little bit and you can get a little bubble. Cash buyers don't care. I mean, and let me preface this. Everybody should care that their building not falling down on them at seven o'clock in the morning. Don't, don't get me wrong. But a cash buyer isn't under the constraint of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac rules. And lest we forget, the cash buyer who then decides that they're going to borrow money from a source that they can repay by getting, say, a home equity loan may be saying to themselves, they're not selling their home equity loans to Fannie and Freddie. So why don't I use my own cash to buy the condo? then go get a home equity loan, pay back the source of the funds I used to buy it with less scrutiny. I'm not saying that that's the most 
admirable way to approach it, but certainly it's one that I bet think people are thinking of. And then just flat out, I've got the cash, why not buy it? Cash buyers. And then there's the avenue of lenders. And I've seen ads for investors in the trade press saying, having trouble with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac condo questionnaires? Remember, there are alternative investors. Talk Here to they come. account execs. Here they come. Here they come. Can you hear them coming? Well, that's really interesting because if you think about it with respect to the 40 unit, 200 unit, maybe even 20 units self-managed, you're dealing with the limitation of buyers, which will then limit the value of the property, right? So Fannie and Freddie, you mentioned, have certain guidelines and, and restrictions around these types of condo assets. Others don't, but there's a limited pool there. So economics tells me that the supply and demand gets a little bit tilted, therefore the price goes down. That's a good point. And if a, and it speculating out, and it's months of speculating out. So if you, Mark, own the condo and your perspective, you've already sort of made the decision, you're not in the type of market where you're going to get a lot of cash buyers. You know your buyer is going to be someone getting a mortgage. And probably is someone who's getting a mortgage with the help of a mortgage broker or going to a, even a bank that wants to be able to sell it in the secondary market. And now you know who's coming in to look at your unit. The real estate agents presented a couple of offers and you're saying, well, which of these offers should I take? They all have a financing contingency of some sort. And now any or all of these folks are coming back to you with a contingent, um, not commitment, but some sort of financing language saying, well, of course, it has to pass Fannie Mae condo review. And you as the seller are saying to your board, I don't know what this means, but whatever it is, I guess you have to fill something out. And if it's a matter of first impression, and this is what I've been hearing, when it's a matter of first impression for the board, they are very nervous. Oh, yeah. They, fore they foresee all sorts of calamities arising because they've signed off that there is no structural issue or, you know, in their mind, that's what they're saying. So you're the seller saying, well, I, I, what am I going to do? I, I, I need to force the board to sign this questionnaire. The board's refusing to sign the questionnaire. Your whole deal is on hold. You need to sell this to go buy your next house or to get relocated to St. Louis. And it, it, it's going to be a sticky couple of first few transactions before a board decides to bite the bullet and probably engage the services of one of these consultants who can come in and it's sort of like, you know, you break a bone, you get the bone doctor, sets the bone, tells you how to, and, and, but you never see him again after six weeks. Your bone heals, you go on. There are consultants out there who can come in and say, all right, here's what you need to do. Here's your map. Here's what you should plan to spend for these experts whose opinions you're going to need to bite the bullet and get. 
And remember to pay for these experts, you probably have to do a special assessment on the condo owners just to pay for the experts to tell you how much more money you need to be putting into the reserve. My personal opinion is given the amount of equity that a lot of folks have in any form of real estate right now, granted interest rates have ticked up so home equities aren't as sweet a deal as they were, but there may be some breathing room to absorb a special assessment at this point and say, I mean, what's unemployment in Massachusetts is like three, 4%. Most people who want jobs have jobs. So now would be the time to bite the bullet and sort of have this specialist come in as a board, tell you what you need to do, get on that track, start the new budgeting process and be able then going forward to tell your fellow unit owners as a seller, none of these financing or sale options are foreclosed to you because we're comfortable signing a Fannie Freddie questionnaire. The ones who drag their feet, I think, are going to have some pretty disgruntled fellow owners. And it's, you know, from what I understand, not so disgruntled, they run for the position of being a trustee, just so disgruntled that every time you happen to take the trash out, you get a lecture on how much trouble they had selling their unit. So that's interesting. And it's not any different than the representation of how many are owner occupied, right? So I'm assuming that many of these associations that are already having difficulty financing in the secondary market, Freddie, Fannie, are going to continue to have trouble with this, but it'll be overlooked because they're already having trouble with this. Yeah. Do we see any of the... um, private portfolio folks starting to say, yeah, we're alternative financing, but this is kind of important. Fannie and Freddie are making a really good point here. What's the deal with the safety of this structure? Right. And that, I think, I found a really interesting aside to this. um, It's unique to the city of Boston, but um, in the article that I read, but only insofar as the city of Boston has this particular bylaw around specific mandated inspections. So the city of Boston, and I'm, you know, I I can't speak to other towns. It's just my research hasn't gone that deep, but the city of Boston has a required uh, fire escape inspection and required facade inspection. And one of the things that Fannie and Freddie say is, if you've skipped this inspection, that's a black X. You know, that whether or not everything's intact and fine, the fact that you haven't had the inspection in and of itself is a, a safety slash uh, building structural integrity red flag. So you have to sort of say to yourself, okay, if I'm a, let's say I'm a state chartered thrift with more than enough money to lend, would I be an alternative to other sources of financing? I'm gonna say, 
maybe, but boy, I'm going to send out an appraiser who's like a hawk. And I'm going to go through the minutes of your meetings and I'm going to go through um, any town mandated inspection and make sure it's been done. And it's going to be a very tough physical property analysis that has to be done before I'm gonna make that loan. Having said that though, and this is something I think that real estate agents and mortgage brokers would be well positioned to think about is once, once a given lender has said, I put this place through the sieve, it has passed. I've looked at all the ins and outs and whatever, they probably are gonna be willing to do it again. So if your 10 unit self-managed project with all of the structural things at least addressed in some way has already been approved by you know, the Third National Bank of Norwell, well, going back to the Third National Bank of Norwell and saying, hey, we've got another one in this complex, they may be willing to say, yep, We've done our due diligence on this. We're happy with it. And that's where I think um, building a data bank, whether it's for independent mortgage brokers who need to start thinking about where am I going to place this loan, or it's a real estate agent who's working with the buyer and thinking about, gee, I'm a trusted advisor to this buyer. They're going to ask, you know, anything I should think about for financing. It's a suggestion. You can't make a referral. I mean, you can make a suggestion, you can't get paid to make a referral under RESPA, but you can always make a suggestion, you know, talk to these guys. They've, you know, they've been in here before, they may be willing to do it. They don't want to overload their portfolio and be the only lender in that project, but it's worth thinking about. So you bring up a good point. So condo owners, unit owners, board members, trustees, no need to panic. However, time to get with the times, right? The regulators are stepping in. And, you know, as Elon Musk talks about regulation, you know, it's usually something very tragic has to happen. And then people in offices have to talk about it for a long time and then figure out what are we going to do going forward to make sure this doesn't happen? And can we get everybody on board with it? You can mitigate this, you can bring in a consultant, you can get your books tight, you could get the, the structure tight, you can find a lender who's willing to do it. It's almost like FHA approval, right? So you have FHA condo yeah. approval. This is now Fannie Freddie condo approved. Yep. And that's a big yeah, marketing, exactly. a big marketing point for a listing agent to say in their description, the first thing, Fannie and Freddie approved. That's a great point. Particularly if you know that the best pool of potential buyers is going to need financing. Right. Especially in condos, because it's usually uh, a first-time home buyer, right? Okay. Right. And again, one of the things that I asked on the, on the conference call I was on most recently was whether or not I saw this kind of attention to structural issues leaking, if you will, into the one to four, well, two to four, yeah. Condo land. I was told, no, we really haven't seen it yet. 
but if I were to project myself to being on the Prudential Committee or the Security Committee of a state chartered thrift, and I looked, you know, I, I, I bothered to <laughs> spend a few minutes reading National Mortgage News or, or the Orange County Register, which has been covering this as condo loans have died up in California, um, and said, well, wait, why is this limited to five or more? Don't I care as much that someone's standing on the third floor of a triple decker and they lean against the railing and topple over as I do that a eight unit building, they're leaning against the railing on their balcony and it fails and they topple over. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if more conservative lenders started taking this as a best practices type of thing. And, you know, it all depends on the level of risk assumption that any given institution wants to take on. But if you think about a lot of what's happening now in terms of things like the CFPB's aggressive stance about protecting consumers, or you think about the underlying reasons for tight constraints around condo loans, or you think about why we all need to have Title V compliant single family houses, they're all for a good reason. None of this is willful interest in drying up home financing. Right, right. Well, so, that's, that's regulation, right? So something happens that wakes everybody up. Let's, we got to put guardrails on this. And, you know, it's interesting you bring up the one to four because that's what I was thinking, right? At, at what point is this going to trickle down and, and it's going to affect all condo unit owners? But why not? And and almost why not more? If you think about with respect to financing, 08, 09, 10, when financing started, the spigot turned off, they turned off on those faster than anything else, right? Those three family yeah. converted to three condo units, those were virtually impossible to finance for two to three years. You know, why? Yeah. I'm guessing it's very similar reasoning, you know, mismanagement, deferred maintenance, uh, value, value issues in a declining market, but um, overabundance would, of investors who would walk away. Right. So why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they view these all the same? So now we get to what, given our our time constraints, maybe one of the last things to be thinking about is the investor owner, the investor buyer. So. Number one, well, the, for the investor buyer, let's face it, their cash is king. I mean, financing a residential condo unit as an investor, a lot of hoops, no question about it. But owning one, and now you're looking very analytically. You don't live there. This isn't where your kids go to school from. It's something that you own as an investment, and you're saying to yourself, Now's when I want to cash out. I don't know if we're at the top of the market. I don't know if the market's going to continue to peak or are we going to hit a plateau or go down. But boy, I, you know, the stock market isn't doing my kids' college fund any favors right now. Let's sell that condo unit in West Bridgewater and get on with it. 
And now as an investor, you're saying, I'm prescribed by, about who I can sell to and the board isn't helping me out. And now what do you do? Right. I've already run the numbers on the capital gains hit, the depreciation that I've got to pay back. I'm not doing a 1031 exchange. I'm taking this for college. And you're telling me that you're going to make the value of my property less by not doing these things. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to kick in the door and be at the meeting saying, hey, 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 before I start flipping over tables, what do we got to do to get this thing right? So there, there are folks that can help those groups come in and get things right. Yes, there certainly are. I mean, and, and there are gradations of it. And I think any board that looks to get into this maybe for the first time, or they may have had some professional, quasi-professional management and said, you know what, we got it from here and, yeah. and, and gone off on their own should definitely be looking at interviewing, having conversations with, putting out requests for proposals to the variety of outsourced providers. I mean, there are, I mean, as you can imagine, Harbor Towers, the Tall Oaks in, in Weymouth, these are professionally managed operations. Right. And, and for the unit owner who feels like they're living in an apartment, it probably is very much akin to you know, the garbage disposal backs up, you call a number and a plumber appears. Um, so for the self-managed project who may have been working off of best practices, how many did we pay last year for snow removal? We got two contracts this year. Let's set aside this much for snow removal and then doing the math. Okay, here's everybody's dues per month for the next year, now to have to start factoring in additional expenses, it takes a little bit of deep breath. Do I really wanna get into this? Which is why I would strongly recommend getting out there and talking to, and there are plenty of them out there, talking to, for instance, one of these professional management companies and saying, what might you offer as an a la carte? What uh, subcontractors do you work with? Um, maybe all I need is a really good accountant. Um, or maybe I need a structural engineer who specializes in this kind of, physically this kind of building construction. Um, and if I get a, a structural engineer, maybe it's expensive that first year, but then we sign up to have them come in every two or five or, depending on their recommendation for sort of a, a eyeball at maintenance purpose. Because this really becomes two silos now, right? Finances, you have to match what you did last year, but you really need a, a review of your reserve, of your reserve account, right? You need to understand, do you have enough? Are you collecting enough? What's the actuarials look like going forward of what you have? But you also need a skilled person that understands systems and structures and construction, such as an engineer. So, um, yeah. And that's where, so my example, which I've been using for folks who want to try and bring this to the, you know, I, I, 
as you know, you, you know, Mark, from working with me, I find the example of something that just makes common sense resonate is the best way to get someone to understand where I'm coming from. Let us say at the most recent meeting um, of the board and the number of unit owners available showed up. And there was a discussion about the fact that because of Fannie Mae requirements, um, all of the exterior railings on all the balconies have to be painted the same color, right? The architectural integrity clause. And we have opted to paint them black. But you can see from the street, they're starting to chip and this and that. So we reach out to someone who gives us a proposal to come in and what they will do is paint all the railings black and they'll you know, sort of kick it where the railing hits the concrete, you know, down at the bottom where those little bolts are. Yeah. And so our, our line item in the budget says, paint and as necessary repair all exterior railings. Now, is that cosmetic? In which case it doesn't fall into the level of scrutiny or is it literally life-threatening structural? Because let's face it, if the railings are failing, you lean against it inadvertently, you're going to tumble off. And well, so, what are they, what, what's Fanny, what, what's their definition? Substantial deferred maintenance. What are they, what is their uh, special so term? They're looking for their, their rule. And, and a, a lot of it comes out of um, their experience with uh, investor loans and larger projects. So they're saying things such as projects in need of critical repairs. Got it. So then it becomes, all right, so what's a critical repair? Well, something that goes to the safety, the structural integrity, the habitability. There are, there are very specific examples that Fannie and Freddie use. Um, have, one of the things that they like to see is an engineering report to back it up. Right. Have they created a uniform condo questionnaire? Yes. So the two of them together, and they've learned that they can't have dueling questionnaires. So they have a common questionnaire. Um, the, the thing of it is that there's, I'm not saying it's, it's gray or fuzzy, but um, I think any given lender might look at it with a different risk assumption perspective and say, well, this looks cosmetic to me. And another lender might say, nope, this looks like structural integrity to me. Well, we don't want so, them, we don't want to own that loan if Fannie thinks otherwise too, right? Right. And so of course, like any um, representation and warranty, the so-called reps and warrants that go with selling the loan in the secondary market, when a lender sells a loan on a condo that is in this group, you know, number of units attached, um, they are representing and warranting to Fannie and Freddie that it meets their underwriting criteria. So if it doesn't meet their underwriting criteria, and let's not kid ourselves, when does somebody come out and look at it? It's when the loan's in default. Right. So it doesn't meet their criteria, because, and they know this because the loan's in default. They now turn to the lender who originated the loan 
and say, hey, Fifth National Bank of, you know, Norwell, you now get to buy back this loan. And so now the bank is on the hook for buying back the 475, 525, whatever dollar loan. And they're not happy about it. So they may, and this is the big may, and this is what worries these boards and trustees. They may then turn to the underlying documentation and say, you misrepresented to us the state of affairs. Now, as someone who's represented banks for the better part of 40 years, I'm going to say, really? You're looking at a railing five years after this loan was originated and backdating the structural integrity of it to where it was when this loan was originated? I don't think so. But think about that horrible situation in Florida where they had years of people complaining to the board that there's water puddles in the basement and that the concrete looks friable in the, in the pilings that are holding up the first floor and leaks in the swimming pool and you know those sorts of things. It's a little harder to duck that bullet. But more importantly than any question that I've asked you so far, for the lenders who are out there listening and you know they want to get some training either through fair housing or these new condo regulations, how would those folks get in touch with you? Well, I um, have an email address that is somewhat long, but not counterintuitive. R. Dillingham, first initial, last name, at Dillingham Consulting, LLC.com. And for the folks who are looking to have you up on stage at trade shows or sales meetings or team bonding events, that's the same way? Yep. And actually, I am so excited to say that we're finally starting to come back out of our medically necessary imposed silos and getting back into ballrooms and breakout rooms and uh, face-to-face learning, because I do think that that is one of the places that the types of training I do work best is when folks can be collaborative and sharing ideas about how a new process or procedure is going to impact them and how they and their peers can make it work for all of them. That's really interesting. And I, and I love the dynamic of, of team sharing and being live and in person, even though we're here conveniently on Zoom, I get it. There's, there's definitely a difference of active learning than simply sitting and listening to somebody, somebody lecture to them. You should hear me do my fair lending thing when I start opening it up to folks to talk about some of the areas that you can and cannot ask people as part of a loan application and why. Let's give them a little teaser. What if you had someone in front of you who was applying for a loan individually, you're not, you know you're not allowed to ask for marital status, but she is quite visibly pregnant. And she has a good job, had it for five years, and she is using the income from that job that she's had for the last five years to apply for this loan. Can you or can you not make an assumption that once the baby is born and you're assuming that this baby's gonna be born in the next couple of months, her income income is gonna take a hit 
and that you should really be using as income to support ability to repay a lesser amount than she is earning right now. I love it. I love it. And folks, if you appreciated the conversation that Ruth and I just had, go back to episode number nine and re-listen to that one as well, because there's golden nuggets everywhere when you're talking to Ruth Dillingham. Highly encourage Dillingham Consulting, even though the small print that's coming up says that I don't endorse anybody. We work with Ruth very closely when these new hot topics come into play and she helps us design language around them as well. So highly encourage Dillingham Consulting. Ruth, I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Securitital. Secure Title helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Secure Title, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.